Welcome to Fintech at Kellogg, a podcast that sheds light on the innovative people, ideas, and technology that are transforming the financial services landscape as we know it. I'm your host, Farron Meldrum-Taylor, and today we sit down with Kevin Lee, co-founder and chief strategy officer of Athena Blockchain, a full-service investment bank for blockchain, to discuss tokenized securities, initial coin offerings, and cryptocurrencies. Kevin will also be on campus later this quarter to discuss Athena Blockchain in more depth, so if you're a Kellogg student, please make sure you sign up for our newsletter and keep an eye out for the announcement with the exact date and time. Kevin, welcome to Fintech at Kellogg. We are so excited to have you here. To get us started, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with blockchain and cryptocurrencies? Sure. So I grew up in LA, went to school in LA, and did M&A banking for a few years before joining Facebook in their CFO group and doing private equity after that. I was traveling for a bit and decided uh, when I was coming back, I didn't want to do private equity anymore and was considering either joining a consumer tech startup in San Francisco or whether I wanted to do cannabis or crypto. And I was talking to one of my friends in New York, and he mentioned, hey, you already have investments in cannabis, you've already done consumer finance and technology, why don't you take a look at crypto? And I took a look at crypto, read Soshi's white paper, and I was like, oh, I don't know enough about this industry, why don't I take a crack at it? Coming from a finance background, I really wanted to find a company to work for that was cash flow positive. And there are very few cash flow positive crypto companies in 2017. I think there's still very few cash flow positive crypto companies now 2019, but Athena Bitcoin was one of them. And interviewed with the company, joined them as their CFO, and launched Athena Blockchain, which is our registered broker dealer, security token investment bank over the last year. Great. It sounds like you took a very practical approach to cryptocurrencies. Not everybody can say that, that is for sure. Uh, (laughs) Can you give us an overview of what you did at Athena Bitcoin and what you're working on now at Athena Blockchain? Sure. So as CFO and as first outside executive hire and finance hire, I was responsible for building out the entire finance and accounting function at Athena Bitcoin, in addition to managing their HR, legal, and a few other departments. But when I joined in, the Athena Bitcoin business was a crypto ATM business. When I first joined, I helped them launch a high net worth investor service and realized you know, because it's an ATM business, your scale is going to scale linearly based on the number of ATMs that you're deploying. Like I said, coming from a finance background, linear scale is not the sort of business that I actually want to be in. Realized the blockchain potential in securities offerings was something intriguing and over the last year bought a partnership with a broker dealer, hired a bunch of investment bankers, and now we're issuing security tokens. Interesting. I know that a lot of people might not be familiar with security tokens. Could you give us a brief description of what those are? What are some of the benefits and some of the drawbacks of them? Sure. So as you could remember last year, there was the ICO craze, the initial coin offering craze. This is completely different. Whereas that did not have anything actually backing 
the things that we're trading, a security token is very similar to register securities that are traded on any open exchange. The only difference is instead of trading through NYSE or NASDAQ or having to go through an IPO, you would issue a security token as a private placement and start trading that, holding that for a year so you can bypass some of the registration requirements for private placements to start trading that through public. And how exactly are those traded? Right now we have a few security token exchanges that are starting to get up and running, but I think ICE, the intercontinental exchange, they own all the exchanges. They are backing back which is a $186 million funded startup for security token exchanges. Great. So how many people are involved in these exchanges so far? Is there a lot of companies doing something similar to what Athena Blockchain is doing, or are you guys the front runners? So we as the broker dealer, there are a few broker dealers in the space, but there are a lot of companies focusing on the exchange portion, on the technology portion, on the yeah, I, I guess I think it would make up security, exchange, technology, and then broke dealers. Got it. So it sounds like a lot of things are coming together all at once to build up this network and market for the tokens. Yes. We're starting to get a lot of interest from traditional finance players who under, now finally start to understand the benefits associated with trading using the blockchain instead of via paper shares or, or via public offerings. And it seems like one of the major benefits of this, too, is just the overall management and upkeep of the securities, whether that's tracking owners or paying out dividends, things like that. Is that the case that you found so far? Yeah. So from our point of view, a lot of my co-founders have purchased private shares through different means. I mean, I was trying to buy Airbnb's private shares last year, and I tried to buy Lyft's private shares. And that process is very difficult to buy private company stock. Right now, it's still operated on an Excel spreadsheet through the issuer's lawyer's office, and it's expensive. And if you want to send dividends, or you need to make sure that the addresses are correct, the names are correct. It's just time-consuming, expensive process. Coming from a family office background, we dealt with clients buying these private placement stock, and it was always a process dealing with all the attorneys to get whatever the stock certificates were or executed loan documents and things like that. It was incredibly time consuming with a lot of paperwork. So I can see how this would be a, a huge improvement on all of that. Yeah. Are there any drawbacks currently to the token offerings other than the fact that this is still an emerging technology in space? I think because this is an emerging technology and space, a lot of the liquidity for the securities that we're currently selling just isn't there. Investor knowledge about trading tokens just is not there. You have had conversations with large hedge funds and private equity firms about presenting to them and helping them understand the ecosystem, but they're just not ready to deploy capital yet. So until they're ready to deploy capital, it makes it very difficult for us to really get this industry up and running and start start making some money. Yeah, it's uh, the larger investors generally tend to be the ones that are a little bit slower to, to come on board with all this. You mentioned earlier that you work with, with family offices and other private investors. Have you seen a lot of interest with individual investors? 
Uh, yeah, we had a lot of interest from high net worth individuals from large family offices on being able to purchase some of these securities or whether they want to actually issue these securities tokens themselves for illiquid portfolio companies that they're holding. Oh, interesting. So yeah, it appeals to them on a couple of different levels. Are the typical individual or high net worth investors that are interested in this, are they generally younger people, older people, people who've been working in tech and so are a little bit more familiar with this? What is the typical profile of somebody who's looking to do this? It's actually ranged quite a bit. We have, I don't assume there are that many family offices with very young portfolio managers, but we've had some new family offices come up through crypto wealth that are very interested. Traditional family offices, like I said, have reached out to us to start tokenizing their real estate portfolios, some of their smaller businesses, just understand the ecosystem. I don't think there's a age or demographic that is necessarily more interested than the others. Interesting. I would have assumed it would be younger tech people who'd made their wealth earlier in their 20s and 30s. (laughs) (laughs) Just generalizing, obviously. What, in your opinion, makes an asset a good candidate for securitization? From our point of view right now, it tends to be real estate asset, equity, debt, something that will spit off cash flow because investors really do want to see some sort of return up front. This isn't the ICO world where you're going to have 10,000% increase in one day, right? These are real assets. You have corporate governance. You have real investors that want some sort of safe return or some sort of return. I mean, one of the biggest benefits of trading through the blockchain would be bringing some liquidity to an illiquid asset, be able to maybe trade internationally between international investors and you know, reducing a lot of the friction that's associated with purchasing private placement companies or shares or debt. So I know another one of the difficulties with these private placements is the regulation around them. Is that something that has been a hurdle for you, or is there a way to work within the system for these token offerings? Yeah, so the reason that we purchased a share in a broker-dealer was because as finance representatives, we all have registered security representatives licenses, Series 7, 63, 79, a bunch of other ones, and so the SEC and FINRA has required us to go through these processes, start selling these securities as private placements. So a lot of the sales last year regarding ICOs, they were sold by marketing agencies or sold by random Joe Schmo walking down the street. A lot of the stuff that's this year for security tokens are registered securities representatives, ex-investment bankers, people that still have their Series 7. Because if you leave, after, leave the industry after two years, your licenses last. You have to retake them. And was there or has there been any difficulties, because this is relatively new technology, working with the SEC and FINRA, are there any additional hoops that you would have to jump through in order to do this? Or is this treated just as any other private investment? I think it's still treated any other private investment or private placements, the SEC has taken a very cautious approach about how they want to structure their enforcement. We're working very closely with FINRA to make sure that everything that we're doing is in compliance with FINRA and SEC rules. There are no new rules associated with securities offerings that the SEC has come out with, and so we're just using the old rules and making sure that we're in compliance with them. 
So it's basically just taking kind of what's already there, but improving the system. Yeah. And working with Vermont or Wyoming as they issue new blockchain legislation to make sure that you know, we can start trading some of these security tokens. Are there any other states besides Wyoming and Vermont that this is coming up in that you guys are paying attention to or looking out for? Are those the two states, I would say, that are ahead of the curve in creating legislation for this? Those two states were ahead of the curve. Delaware recently passed another legislation saying that you can have your shareholder list kept on the blockchain, which is one of the benefits of security token. And so that's, I think, what we're trying to work with on the new issuances that we're working on. The other issuances that we have worked on previously were using Delaware C-Corp law, and we didn't use Wyoming or Vermont just because most companies are structured in Delaware. Mm -hmm. And so we really want to make sure that we abide by current rules and future rules that we assume will be implemented. Yeah, I know that Delaware is a state of choice for incorporating. Do you think that other states will follow Delaware's example and you'll get a standard legislation or regulation going forward from the states? Or are you concerned at all that each state is going to start implementing something a little bit different that's going to make this difficult to comply with? Yeah, so I actually think that each state initially will have very different legislation and requirements for blockchain or security token offerings. And then over the years, they'll start to realize what the pros and cons of those rules are. We're really trying to stay very close to Delaware C Corp law and make sure that the offerings that we're selling are not crazy, right? You, you don't you don't want to scare off investors by saying, oh, this is some weird state with some weird laws associated with the blockchain company. Go read up on it and try to figure out what it is, right? We really mm-hmm. want to stay very close to what investors feel comfortable with. So one of the things you mentioned a little bit earlier was some of the possibilities for international investments. I know there tends to be some rules limiting international investment in some companies or certain rules about being a United States person and things like that. Are the security token offerings better for international investors at all, or are you still subject to a lot of those same restrictions? So for U.S. investors, you still have the requirements for exemption from registering the security, which basically means that you're going to have to be an accredited investor before you can purchase a lot of the security token offerings. For international investors, there is the regulation exemption, which is stringent because the SEC's main job is to protect U.S. investors, not international investors. International investors traditionally have not had the opportunity to purchase investments in the United States, and we have seen wide interest from investors in Japan and China and Hong Kong and Thailand who want to invest in U.S. offerings, and one of the ways that they look forward to is to be able to purchase security token offerings using the Reg S exemption to be able to buy them. That could be really interesting to watch. How? Yeah. I mean, and this might be very difficult to predict at this point, but... How long do you think it will be before that becomes a possibility and before this becomes a really robust marketplace or exchange? I think it's already a possibility. There's nothing standing in the way of international investors from purchasing the security token offerings that 
us or other broker dealers are currently selling. For it to be a robust industry, you really have to bring in these large family offices, these institutional players that understand the benefits of trading on the blockchain because without that liquidity, you're basically still stuck holding and the less illiquid asset that you really don't want that volatility or price risk. Right. That makes sense. You mentioned earlier that real estate companies, things with more consistent cash flows right now are better candidates. Do you see that expanding as the market expands to less common or more unusual investments? Yeah. I mean, I, I would expect the democratization of BC funding, C2C series, Series A funding to be democratized by security token offerings because a lot of the opportunities in that space are hoarded by in Silicon Valley. And I know we talked about these offerings still being limited to accredited investors. Do you see that always being the case? And would you want it to always be the case? Or do you see this becoming something that could become more of an option or more available to a wider subset of the population? So it is limited to accredited U.S. investors. There's no limitation on whether you have to be an accredited investor for an international investor. I can definitely opine on whether I think a intelligent person should be able to purchase security, whether they're an accredited investor or not. But you know, whether the SEC changes those rules or not are going to determine whether it's legal or illegal. It seems less likely right now, especially given how slowly and cautiously the SEC usually moves. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like you said, an intelligent investor might be able to make these, but there's a lot of people who follow the crazes, who you know jumped on the ICOs, who may or may not have done maybe as much research as they should in, in some of their investments. So it might be yeah. better to put some safety rules or limits around it for now. Yeah, I mean, it was really crazy last year. I had friends who were working in private equity, who were working in investment banks, call me and ask me, Kevin, should I buy this ICO? And I would always, <laughs> I would always first laugh at them and you know, second say, heck no, and explain my reasonings why. But you know, intelligent, intelligent friends, intelligent family members who didn't understand what they were actually buying. It sounded cool, so why not? Yeah. Was there any ICOs that you would have given your okay for, or in your opinion, were all of them not worthwhile investments? I, I can't say that they're not worthwhile investments. I would not have given my blessing for any of the ICOs that I've seen come through so far because there was no corporate governance attached to the bulk of the ICO offerings last year. If you were a crypto VC, like a dozen or two dozen or three dozen of these crypto VCs that popped up over the past couple of years, they had priority. They had preferred dividends. They, they had actual corporate government. And the stuff that was being sold to regular investors, to the public, did not have same benefits and, and preferred equity or, or dividends that were associated with what was being sold to VCs. So they had much more of an advantage with these offerings than the average investor or average person. Yeah, some of them were getting 90% discounts on their offering or on their purchases where you know once it starts trading, even if it trades down 50%, you're still up 40%. Right, exactly. 
So I'm going to switch directions a little bit now to speak more generally about cryptocurrencies. Are there any interesting projects you've seen funded by cryptocurrencies or any cryptocurrencies you think we should keep an eye on? I know the market's been fluctuating a lot. It's up a little bit now, I think, but would love to get your opinion and thoughts on it. So we're very lucky in these where we don't have problems associated with hyperinflation, where we trust or semi-trust our government to do what is best for the populace. A lot of other countries like Venezuela or even last year on China's uh, inflation problem, they have moved over to using cryptocurrencies as a store of value. And I think whether you're using Bitcoin, whether you're using one of the stable coins that have come out over the last year or two years, it makes a lot of sense for them because the dollar compared to the, I think it's Argentine peso, the inflation associated with that is, is not as high as if you're going to be holding the Argentine peso. Do you think we'll see a long-term adoption of cryptocurrency in those countries, assuming at some point, hopefully not too distant future, we see inflation slowing down? Do you think it'll continue to be used, kind of like mobile money has become so big in a lot of African countries? Yeah, I actually think that sovereign nation-issued cryptocurrencies will become a big form of money and capital over the next decade as governments start to realize that being able to track every single percent, track every single transaction and be able to tax that efficiently will become a big benefit for the government, not necessarily a big benefit for the population associated <laughs> with holding these sovereign software currencies, but you know, that's a topic for, for another discussion. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole different discussion. What do you think would be the biggest hurdle for these countries to introduce a sovereign cryptocurrency? Oh, just getting over the comfortability aspect on what a cryptocurrency actually is and being able to manage some of the risks associated with issuing a sovereign cryptocurrency. You still have the same counterfeiting risk. You still have a lot of the hacking risk associated with regular cryptocurrencies. A lot of the problems associated with fiat money is still going to be relevant in a sovereign cryptocurrency. Well, it should be really interesting to see how that unfolds. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But Kevin, thank you again so much for coming on. We're really looking forward to seeing you on campus later this quarter. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Kevin. If you want to learn more about FinTech at Kellogg, you can reach us directly at fintechclub at kellogg.northwestern.edu or come check us out on our Facebook page. And if you liked what you heard today, Please remember to rate us on iTunes and click that subscribe button to hear future episodes. That's it for now. Thank you for listening. Until next time.